0: Father in heaven, I want to thank you for this opportunity we have to study your word together. And Lord, we pray that you would please be with us, guide us, bless us, and lead us with your spirit. Thank you, Lord, once again. And we claim the promise by faith that where two or three are gathered in your name, that you'd be there in the midst of us. Lord, I know that there are more than two or three that are listening today. May you please grace us with thy presence now, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen. Well, good day to all of you out there. We are continuing uh, this this new series that we're in, and it is the series on the early kings, the kings that were reigning when the, the, the kingdoms were all united together under Saul, under David, and under Solomon. And today we're going to be looking at the first king of Israel. You know, Samuel, he had already risen to the role of the prophet and judge of Israel. He grew up from being a young boy dedicated fully to God to be the man whom God would choose to lead the nation of Israel. However, in the closing years of his life, he did not manage his household well, just like Eli and his wicked sons. So we start in our first text, 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 3. The Bible says, And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre, took bribes, and perverted judgment. Because of this, because his sons also were wicked, what did the Israelites actually do? Let's continue reading in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 5. And said unto him, Behold, thou art old, And thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. You see, the wicked ways of Samuel's sons was a small reason in asking for a king. Yes, they would not have been good judges to lead the children of Israel because of their wickedness. But there was also another reason. You see, the Bible says there that they wanted to be like the other nations around them. They didn't like their peculiarity, where all these other nations, they had kings, but here we had a a judge who was also a prophet as well. They wanted a figurehead, someone that they could follow into battle. They wanted to be more like the world, and they were tired of God as their king and their judge. You know, from a human standpoint, Samuel he was upset. He felt that he was being rejected. We read in First Samuel chapter eight, verses six and seven. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, "Give us a king to judge us." And Samuel prayed unto the Lord, And the Lord said unto Samuel, "Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not." Reign over them. God told Samuel that they weren't rejecting him, but that they were rejecting God. They didn't want God to reign over them. They didn't want this God who who somehow knew everything, that could see everything, and that could judge them fairly. They wanted someone more like the world. They wanted a king. And so we read in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 8 according to all the works which they have done since the day that have brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. You know, God said from that day that he, he brought them out of Egypt, they were always wanting to serve other gods and to, to follow other gods. And so this was just another step in that direction, away from God and more conformity to the be like the world. And although there had been much reform and revival under the leadership of Samuel, the heart of the people still desired to stay away and stray away, pardon me, from God and desired a worldly king. And so we read in 1 Samuel 8, 9, Now therefore, God says, hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. So, you know, God, he he tells Samuel, look, listen to them, give them a king. But yet he instructs Samuel to tell them what would happen if they decided to go ahead with wanting and getting this king. And so we read in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 10 to 18. And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked of him a king. And he said, This will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself, for his chariots and to be his horsemen. And some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties and will set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of chariots. And he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. And he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your men servants and your maid servants and your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your sheep, and ye shall be his servants. And ye shall cry out in that day because of your king, which ye have chosen you. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. And so Samuel, he outlines all the things that the king will do. You ask for a king, this is what the king will do. Are you sure you want it? And then at the very end, Samuel tells them that they would regret this choice of making for themselves a king. But after all that he says, what do the people say? 1 Samuel 8, 19 and 20. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us, and fight our battles. In spite of all the warnings that Samuel gave them from God, they still wanted to persist with having a king. They didn't care. They still wanted their own way. They wanted to be just like all the other nations around them. And they wanted someone to go out and fight their battles for them. Someone to be a figurehead. They were rejecting God from being their leader. They wanted a man to stand in his place. They wanted to be just like the world. And the Israelites didn't realize that being unlike the world was really a special privilege and a great blessing. God fought the battles for them. All they had to do was play instruments of music and and God would go ahead of them and fight for them and give them the victory. All they had to do was walk around a city seven times and shout at it and the walls would come crumbling down. God provided for them and gave them a land that was not even theirs to begin with, a land that was flowing with milk and honey. God rained manna from heaven in the wilderness and gave them three meals a day to eat. They were so unlike the world in so many ways. No one, not a single person, got sick walking around the desert for 40 years. What a blessing that came upon them because they were God's people and God was their leader. They didn't realize the, the special privileges and the blessings that came with it. They had forgotten. They had utterly and totally forgotten. And friends, you know, sometimes we, we, we desire so much to be like the world. We look at the world and, and we see all these good and desirable things that we want from them. And, and sometimes we look at how the Bible says, oh, don't do this and don't do that. And we feel like following God is such a burden, not realizing that there are so many privileges, and blessings that come because God is our God. You see, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, God tells us, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What makes us stand out when we choose to follow God as a blessing is it's not only to, to ourselves, but it's also to those that are around us as well. To be a blessing to the world is, is not striving to be different or peculiar or, or strange, but striving to put God first in all that we do. And when we do that, the difference between those that are God's And those that are of the world will become apparent, not because we just strive to draw a line in the sand and be totally different from them. But God says, you are peculiar. You are different. When you follow me, when you are holy, when you're living a righteous life, there is a difference in how you talk, in how you dress, in how you act, the activities that you do and the places you choose to visit. There is a difference. And they didn't want that peculiarity anymore. They were looking at the nations around them and they wanted to be just like the nations. They wanted a king. They were tired of being peculiar. But yet God says, look, if you want a king, I'm going to reserve the right for myself to choose who that king would be. Let's continue reading. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of be- Bechorath the son of Ephiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. The man that God would choose would be Saul. And he came from a powerful and well-respected family. However, the Bible highlights the physical qualities of Saul. He was taller than all the people around him from his shoulders and upward. It doesn't talk about his character. You see, even though God says, I reserve the right to choose whom I want to be the first king, God was choosing someone that the people would accept. God was choosing someone that in the people's hearts, what they desired, someone in their mind that would look like a king, someone that would, quote unquote, lead them out to battle, right? This is what they wanted. And so God, he chose, it wasn't after his desires, but he chose after the children of Israel's desires from an outward perspective, from a physical standpoint, he would make sure that Saul, of course, would be placed in the best position, especially to be a good king as well. Even though he was choosing physical qualities because that's what the people wanted, God was going to do his very best to empower Saul, to tell Saul, I'm going to be with you, to equip Saul with inside character as well to be a good king. In 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 3, we read, And the asses of Kish Saul's father were lost, And Kish said to Saul his son, Take now one of your servants with thee, and arise, and go seek the asses. When the donkeys of Saul's father was lost, he sent his son to Saul to go look for them, but they were not able to find them. And by chance they came to the prophet Samuel's house where he stayed, and it would be there that Samuel would anoint Saul as king. You see, in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse 1, we read this. Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? And so Samuel anoints him to be king. And shortly after the anointing, of course, it's it's unexpected for Saul. But shortly after this anointing, Samuel tells him that the Spirit of God would rest upon him. Let's keep reading. Verse 6 of First Samuel chapter 10. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man. So not only would the Spirit of God rest on him, but he would be transformed. He would be changed into another man. You see, friends, that's the greatest evidence that we have the Spirit of God. There's a change in character. There's a change that's obvious for us to see. And we continue reading in verse 9. And it was so that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. You see friends, God would give Saul a new heart. But not only that, let's keep reading. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 10 to 11. And when they came thither to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him. And the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it came to pass when all knew him before time saw that, behold, he prophesied among the prophets, Then the people said one to another, What is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? You see, God would give Saul the best start as any first king he could ever give to anybody. He received the Holy Spirit to the extent that even he prophesied, that people were surprised is Saul a prophet now? You see, the Holy Spirit rested upon him, changed him from the inside out, and there he was with the prophets, prophesying together. And even though the choosing of Saul would appeal to the people, God made sure to account for the other part that the people were not thinking of, they were not looking at, were not making a priority, which was his heart, his character. God was with Saul from the beginning as long as Saul would continue to stay close to God. However, the anointing of Saul, you see, was done at Samuel's house when he was looking for the donkeys and he just by chance happened to, to stumble upon Samuel's house and God said, this is the man. I want you to anoint him as to be king. It was done in private. Not even the servants that went with Saul knew what had taken place, what Samuel had done. An anointing Saul. But soon it would become public news. Samuel would gather everyone together to make the public announcement of whom God has chosen. Let's continue reading in First Samuel chapter 10, verses 17 to 19. And Samuel called the people together unto the Lord to Mizpah and said unto the children of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all kingdoms, and of them that oppressed you. And ye have this day rejected your God, who himself saved you out of all your adversities and your tribulations. And ye have said unto him, Nay, but set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. Samuel reminds them of the goodness of God, and of course their rejection of him as well. But now he's about to present Saul to them, verses 20 to 22 of 1 Samuel, chapter 10. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was taken. When he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Metri was taken. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. And when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord further if the man should yet come thither, and the Lord answered, Behold, he hath hid himself among the stuff. And so the tribe was chosen, and then the family, and then finally Saul, but when they looked around to see whose man that had been chosen, Saul was nowhere to be found. He was probably overwhelmed with the situation of becoming the first king of Israel. There was no precedence before that. Of course, they looked at other countries and saw other countries have kings, but Saul was overwhelmed. He was scared. But then we read in 1 Samuel ten twenty three, And they ran and fetched him thence, and he stood among the people. And when he stood among the people, he was higher than any of the people from his shoulders and upward. And so the people went to search for him, they found him, and they pulled him out and forced him to come forward. They saw that he stood a head taller than everyone else. And what was the reaction when everybody saw Saul stand before them? Let's keep reading in verse 24. And Samuel said to all the people, See ye him whom the Lord has chosen, that there is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. All the people were impressed of the man that God had chosen. They all shouted together, God save the king. However, there were some that were not as accepting of of Saul as king as others were. Let's keep reading. Verse 27. But the children of Belial said, How shall this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no presents. But he held his peace. So, you know, as is expected when any president even nowadays is chosen, there's always someone that's not happy. And there were some people that were unhappy and they, they spoke against him, but Saul, he just held his peace. He was the first king, didn't know what to do. He just stayed quiet. Soon after, the, as, soon after his coronation as king, there would come a situation that would test his mettle as the first king of Israel. Let's read 1 Samuel. Chapter eleven verses one to three. Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said unto Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve thee. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, On this condition will I make a covenant with you, that I may thrust out all your right eyes, and lay it for reproach on all Israel. And the elders of Jabesh said unto him, Give us seven days' respite, that we may send messengers unto all the coast of Israel. And then if there be no man to save us, we will come out to thee. So Nahash, he was an Ammonite, not of the children of Israel. And he came and attacked the the city of the people of Jabesh Gilead. And the elders asked, please, give us some time, give us a chance. Because he wanted them to come out and he would pluck out their eyes. He says, please, give us a chance. If no one from Israel comes, then we'll come out. We'll be your servants." And so by and by, messengers are sent out, and those messengers, they came to Saul, and he would respond. Let's keep reading, 1 Samuel 11, 6-8. And the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard those tidings, and his anger was kindled greatly. And he took a yoke of oxen and hewed them in pieces, and sent them throughout all the coast of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whosoever cometh not forth after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done unto his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out with one consent. And when he numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. And so Samuel, pardon me, Saul sends out a message, and this message touches the hearts of everybody. God rallies the armies of Israel around Saul and they come to the aid of the people there at Jemesh and they kill and slaughter all the Ammonites. Upon seeing the leadership of Saul as their new king in this position and responding to this emergency, leading such a great army of people to victory and saving the people there at Jabesh Gilead, the people wanted to put those that were rejecting Saul as their king at the very beginning. They wanted to put those people to death. And how would the king respond? 1 Samuel 11 verse 12, And the people said unto Samuel, Who is he that said, Shall, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. How does he respond? Verse 13, And Saul said, There shall not a man be put to death, This day, for today the Lord hath wrought salvation in Israel. You know, it's here that Saul gives evidence of his change in character. Instead of being offended by the disrespect of those who had rejected him as being the first king, instead of revenging and bringing to justice, he showed a spirit of compassion, a spirit of forgiveness. A spirit of, spirit of reconciliation. It was unmistakable evidence that the Spirit of God was dwelling in His heart. This is the same evidence, friends, that God's children will have if we have His Spirit in our hearts as well. No situation, no matter how bad it gets, how, no, no matter how people hurt us, no matter what they say against us, no matter what they do to us, If we have the Spirit of Christ, we will not revenge. We'll turn the other cheek. We'll go with them an extra mile. They sue us for our coat. We'll give them our cloak also. You see that? This is the Spirit of Christ. And friends, I want to remind you, it's not the magnitude of the trial. It's not how big the trial is that comes upon us. But it's rather whether we are filled with the Spirit of God or not. Sometimes we like to point out our situation and say, ah, you don't understand what I've gone through. If you went through what I went through, you'd react in the same way. And we like to compare the different situations that we've been through, the different circumstances. We like to justify, I am like this because of this situation. But friends, it is not the magnitude of the trial that we go through. It's not how unfortunate the circumstance is. It's not how difficult a life you've had or how how you've just not benefited from life, you've just been so disadvantaged in life that we, we come out a certain way. No, friends, it is not the magnitude of the trial, but it's whether we are filled with the Spirit of Christ or not. You know, right away, again, Samuel, after seeing the leadership of Saul, he proposes to make a public assembly to confirm Saul as king. Now everybody is on board. They're all on the same page. They are willing to accept Saul as king over all Israel. And so we read in 1 Samuel chapter 11, verses 14 and 15, Then said Samuel to the people, Come and let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. And all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And there they sacrificed sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. And so finally, everybody accepts Saul as the first king. However, all is not yet finished. There is a clear transition from Samuel, their leader and judge all these years in the past, So now Saul as the new king and leader in the present. And with Samuel still alive, he had to make that transition very clear because he was in the leadership position in a sense. Yes, God was their, their leader through Samuel, but it was God that would communicate directly to Samuel. But now there was a clear transition from Samuel over to King Saul. And so what does Samuel say? 1 Samuel 12, verses 1 to 5. And Samuel said unto all Israel, Behold, I have hearkened unto your voice in all that ye said unto me, and have made a king over you. And now behold, the king walketh before you, and I am old and gray-headed. And behold, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my childhood unto this day. Behold, here I am. Witness against me before the Lord, And before his anointed, whose ox have I taken? Or whose ass have I taken? Or whom have I I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? Or of whose hand have I received any bribe to blind mine eyes therewith? And I will restore it to you. And they said, Thou hast not defrauded us, not oppressed us, neither have you taken aught of any man's hand. And he said unto them, The Lord is witness against you. And his anointed is witness this day that you have not found aught in my hand. And they answered, He is witness. You know, it sounds interesting because it seems like Samuel's trying to justify himself. But he is. You see, his life has been given to them and he served them faithfully. And there was no reason in his life and how he lived for them to go and to request for a king. He'd not been corrupt. He'd not been bought by people and their money. In fact, the nation of Israel had prospered under his leadership. But it was simply because of the wickedness of their own hearts that they requested for a king. And so now Samuel, he calls God to witness of what they had done was not right. He tells them, you had no reason, no reason to ask for a king. Yeah, okay. Maybe there was one small blot in Samuel's life, which was the raising of his sons. And maybe he really did do his best. You see, friends, sometimes we do our best. We've got to leave the rest in God's hands. And maybe they were using that for an excuse. But really, ultimately, it was just the wickedness of their own hearts. And so Samuel calls upon God to witness what they had done this day. So we read in First Samuel chapter 12, verses 16 to 18. Now therefore stand and see this great thing, which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call unto the Lord, and he shall send thunder and rain, that ye may perceive and see that your wickedness is great, that which ye have done in the sight of the Lord, in asking you a king. So Samuel called unto the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. God answered and confirmed that what they had done was wicked in asking for a king. And so now in humiliation, the people come and confess the sins, the sin that they have been guilty of. First Samuel twelve nineteen. And all the people said unto Samuel, Pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God, that we die not, for we have added unto all our sins this evil to ask us a king. And so they come to Samuel and say, Please pray for us. And Samuel, he doesn't leave them discouraged. How does he respond? First Samuel twelve twenty, And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, ye have done all this wickedness, Yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Even though the people had sinned and done wickedly, he encourages them to not turn aside from following God, but to be even more faithful. He warns them to continue to serve the Lord with all their hearts, and God would be with them as long as they remained faithful and close to Him as well. And then we read 1 Samuel. Chapter 12, verses 23 to 25. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. But if ye shall still do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. Samuel, he reassures them that he would continue to pray for them. However, if they would be unfaithful to God, if they would be wicked, then God would turn away from them. And not just that, but he would allow them to be consumed. He himself would do the consuming. They'll be left to their own wicked hearts and God would not intervene. You see, friends, just because someone prays for you, just because someone takes the time to get on their knees to pray for you, it doesn't mean that your crisis and your life will be totally changed. No, friends, it's still dependent upon the choices that we make, the, the choices that we choose to in how we will live our lives. And this was the circumstances that was surrounding the coronation of the first king of Israel. While there was rejoicing that God had chosen a man for them, yet they were also reminded that they had done wickedly in requesting for such a king to lead them just like all the other nations. And in the process, they had rejected God as well. But not all was lost. If the king and the people would remain faithful, God would still be there for them. And friends, you know, we have to consider our lives today as well. All of us, we've made wrong decisions in some time and some place. All of us, none of us are perfect. We've all at one point gone against God's will or against his directions. And sometimes we, we know what God's will is and we've just gone totally against it. But there's comfort that God is always ready to forgive. He's always ready to help us to make the best of the situation and of the mess that we've gotten ourselves into that even though sometimes we choose wickedly, even though we choose in the wrong way, if we continue to hold on to God, if we continue to cling to Him, not just simply because we want Him Him to bless us in the situation that we've done that is wrong, no, but in true repentance, in true humiliation, God can turn the situation around for good. We have a wonderful God who is bountiful, plentiful in mercy and compassion. He will not leave us or forsake us. And if, if we would just keep our face fo- and focused on Him, if we refuse to turn to the left or the right and remain faithful to Him, God will uphold us. He will be with us. He will help us if we keep our eyes fixed on Him. Let us find comfort in these stories of the faithful kings, or at least the beginning of King Saul was very much faithful. That God will still work through circumstances that are not of his own choosing, but of our choosing. And you know, friends, that just shows how God is constantly adjusting and readjusting. It was never his desire to to give the Israelites a king. It was never his desire for, for a man as a figurehead to make all the decisions and never seek the counsel of God. Yes, the kings had the opportunity to still seek God and he would still guide them and instruct them and be there for them, but they also had the option not to as well. But yet, God, he was adjusting. It was never his desire. And when the children of Israel asked for the king, he adjusted. And although the men were looking on the outward appearance, God, he was doing his best to change the heart. And so Saul, from the beginning, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. And God, in his mercy, gave them a man that could lead, not just from the physical qualities, but also from the inward as well. Friends, God can change us. No matter who we are, no matter the physical appearance, no matter if even we are the last person to be chosen or thought of, God can change us and transform us, our characters. No matter how we look on the outward, and it is the character that matters the most. May that be what we focus on. Granted, as human beings, we all look on the outward, but may God give us spiritual insight. As we look at the mirror of our own lives, and as we look upon other people and people that we consider for our spouse or to be in a relationship one day, let's learn to look on the inward and not the outward. God, He's still working with all of us. He's still striving with all of us today. And the fact that you're able to hear this message, I know that you desire to have a better character, a Christ-like character, one that desires to walk closer with God each and every day. May that be our prayer today, that in spite of where we are, the decisions that we've made, that we would still seek for holiness of heart, for the Spirit of God, still dwell in us even today and then the circumstances let it be what it may let God deal with it let's pray shall we father in heaven lord i'm so thankful that you're a god of love of mercy of compassion of goodness and you love us so much lord many times we've made wrong decisions oh father please forgive us but you're always ready ready to make the best of the situation and the mess that we get ourselves into. And so, Father, no matter the mess that any of my brothers and sisters might have gotten themselves into today, I pray that you would help them to turn their hearts and their lives and their faces towards thee. I pray, Lord, that you would baptize them with the Holy Spirit, that you would help them to be like Jesus, that you would guide them and lead them and bless them. And so, Father, please help us. Help us today to strive to be more like Christ is our earnest plea and prayer. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse dot org